You're listening to an Irreverent Podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends. Hi, friends. Sarah here with a brief disclaimer. You are listening to a podcast about making space for other people as well as for yourself, which may mean that you're going to hear language and ideas and thoughts, not just about life, but about faith that are different than your own. My hope is that you will listen to this podcast with an attitude of space making, being able to hear things that are different from what you may interpret the world to be. It also may be different than how the hosts feel about the world. But again, we are working together to make a little bit more space for each other. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Making Spaces. I'm one of your hosts, Sarah, and this is the other host. Josie, yay. <laughs> yay. And today I'm calling in from the road because I'm driving to Bend, Oregon, where I'll be living for the next two months. So, Josie, how the hell are you? Um, doing all right. Prepping my life still, moving in, unpacking yeah. boxes. It's eternal. <laughs> it's forever, huh? It's kind of fun to watch the background behind you just get neater and like more like there's your office. I'm guessing there's your creative space in the corner and people can't see this because we're not going to post it, but it's just, it's transforming. Slowly but surely. Hopefully. Your backyard is amazing. Yesterday was the 4th of July and it was so fun to see you guys be able to use your hot tub and come climb on my roof. Your uh, your partner came and climbed on yours with me. It was fun. Yeah. Uh, I wanted the outside space to come first because, you know, I don't know. It's more fun outside. <laughs> so living spaces have come first and then bedroom and office were last. And it's now it's getting on my nerves. But, you know, such is life. You'll get there. You'll get there soon. By the way, I'm uh, just the turnoff for YOLO. We just passed that. Ooh, YOLO. YOLO. YOLO, which is a city as well as a county right here in California. I think so. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, me either. Um, how was your 4th of July? Um, I'm sure the listeners would not be surprised at all to hear that I am not patriotic. I um, am very judgmental of America out of love and both anger. So I was indifferent. I'm indifferent. It is kind of like, I mean, in America, I feel to be like questioning of your country because that's like kind of the thing when it comes to America, right? Founded on, hey, let's question this thing. Yeah, but people don't like it when you question it. They don't no. want you to burn a flag, but they'll rub their crotch on it in a bikini, I guess. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that's great i think we <laughs> talk about that in this episode maybe um oh yeah totally well i'm exhausted and actually uh had to take a my dad is being so great in driving right now so i did not call uh driving which normally i'm driving but um because the way that our neighbors decided to be patriotic is i'm all about like fireworks is fine my dog gets really nervous i hate it for that I don't think you need to have the ones that are super loud. Like, I love how beautiful they are. I love fireworks. The really loud ones that, like, wake babies up and make dogs nervous. And um, and then last night, for whatever reason, our neighbors decided to shoot all the way until 3.30 a.m. Um, it was every half hour, and it was really loud. Yeah. Um, friends, fireworks are really bad for the environment. Don't know if you knew that, but they are. Don't know if you knew that. It's also... So I did the stupid thing, Josie, you know, as I think about like making space, I looked on next door to say like, like, I was just wondering what people were saying. And uh, someone was like, Hey guys, I just want to let you know, like, um, it's after midnight. I've had, you know, my dogs are really nervous. I have a baby. Can we knock it off? And somebody was like, why don't you medicate your dog and your baby? It's the 4th of July. You should have known this was going to happen. I'm sorry. Uh, and then he wrote, this is how we want to celebrate our freedom. And, like, I'm sorry, your freedom requires me drugging my infant? That doesn't seem like, like, where, what happened to apathy? Yeah. What happened? I um, think it's very characteristic of America. That's a very American response. <laughs> how do we make space for each other if we won't even make space for our own neighbors? And, and for our, like, I'm all about it. Celebrate. But, like, let's, let's be reasonable friends. Let's be aware um i don't think these people listen to our podcast but if they did 
stop blowing up shit after 10, 10 p.m. Can we make that rule? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. I am. Um, yeah. Whatever. Fourth of July is always the worst holiday. Ugh. I love that our after Fourth of July episode, by the way, is with Dr. Brad Anoshi. Um, wait, did I say his last name right? I always want to make sure I say it right. Onishi. <laughs> Onishi. There we go. Um, he is a fantastic uh, theologian scholar, um, but more than that, he hosts a podcast called um, White, wait, Straight White American Jesus. Straight White American Jesus. <laughs> I always call it White American Jesus, but it's Straight White American Jesus. It's really great. It talks about the history, how we got here, why we have these ideas about what freedom looks like. Um, and so he's also, got, we mentioned some of his other projects that are coming out, but he's also doing a lot of work on documentaries and it's helping us understand how it is. And very fitting that in Orange County last night is where a lot of stuff was being blown up. Yes, I am. Um, I'm an avid listener of Straight White American Jesus. I love politics. Well, I hate politics, but I lo- I'm a masochist when it comes to politics. I need to know <laughs> everything, especially uh, around the evangelicals. It's a uh, mm, I love it and I hate it. So. I mean, y- I mean, y'all should definitely check it out if you can handle it. <laughs> the cool thing about it is, is I think that it's this beautiful ability that he has not just to say, um, this is bad, this is good, but to really talk about the history and what does this look like? And it's not, it's a, it's a bigger uh, look at things rather than just like, hey, um, you know, it's not one way. It's not a completely one-sided way of looking at it, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, he's a very intellectual. Um, he and his co-host, you will find that they're very smart. They're both professors or have been in the past. And uh, aside from the history, their commentary is also very intelligent. Um, it's not just another bitching podcast like the ones that I like to do. It's smart. It's actually smart people saying smart things about not so smart politics, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that sounds, uh, he's going to make us sound smarter. So please enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. I hope this audio isn't too bad as I am definitely um, in Northern California as of right now. So uh, everyone take care and take a good listen to this. John Wayne is like a major, major regional hero, uh, was a big part of Ronald Reagan's ascendance and Barry Goldwater's ascendance. So the John Wayne model of masculinity is not, hey, let's ask questions, let's reflect, no. let's read books. It's you do things and you, you you ask questions later and you never apologize. So like when I grew up in Orange County in church, there was no men around who were writers or professors or playwrights or or um, there was nothing, right? Everyone around me were like contractors and doers, right? And I'm not trying to denigrate those professions. What I'm trying to say though is they, in in my church culture, took on the persona of, you don't ask and reflect and read. That's that's like not a manly thing to do. You do things, you take the initiative, and if it goes badly, you just, well, you can maybe apologize later, probably not though. Mm -hmm. And I just think that kind of model pervades Orange County as well. And it pervaded my church uh, in a big way. And I, I think that's part of this puzzle. Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Making Spaces podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sarah, and this is the other host, Josie. I like what you did there with the neck roll. Everyone should watch YouTube just for the neck roll because that hat, she's showing it off. It's so (laughs) great. Mm. Um, friends, today is a really fun episode for us. We have one of our friends on here. So this is Dr. Brad Noshi. I want to make sure I say it right, Noshi. And um, he it was a professor at a certain school and is now transitioning to being a professor at another school, so they will remain nameless. But he's also an author, and you may all know him from the well-named Straight White American Jesus podcast. Um, he has 
zero people who have problems with that podcast. Um, zero. <laughs> zero. So he does incredible work in talking about what happens when um, Christianity becomes part of the cultural ethos. And so also he's got this great thing coming out called the Orange Wave, which is a documentary series, um, which I live in the orange, actually Josie and I live in the Orange Wave. So we're excited <laughs> to talk about that. But we always get started um, with asking this question, Brad. Where is one of your favorite spaces and why? Yeah, thanks for having me on and thanks for inviting me to do this. It's it's uh, really great. I, uh, I'm i just super stoked to be here and um, I am, I know y'all are in Orange County and I am <laughs> from Orange County. And so uh, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna make myself into a like total cliche right now, um, which, is, which is something I'm okay with. But um, my favorite space right now is Four Mile Beach and Four Mile Beach is four miles north of Santa Cruz City Line. And so if you just go to Santa Cruz City Line and you drive four miles north, you get to this beach, you walk down about a half mile and you get to a cove. Um, and that's where I go surfing um, two or three times a week. And I think for me, the this is this is the cliche part, uh, Orange County, you know, boy surfer <laughs> guy thing. But um, I'm a very anxious person. And I'm somebody who, who like deals with depression and anxiety um, all the time. And so for me, the ocean has always been this place that's both um, very comforting and like way more expansive than I can handle. And so it, it allows all of that buildup to just sort of like um, dissipate um, into the horizon. And it also just provides a sense of like solitude that um, I've just never been able to replicate. So that is my that is my sanctuary at the moment it's the place that um, really helps me like rebalance and recenter and um i i really cherish those things i also just love the fact that it's also somewhat terrifying um because it it also is the ocean is just something that you never want to take lightly and so yeah. um the sense of like being at home but also being kind of terrified is is like kind of a nice balance so i think that's the fascinating thing right as we talk about like however you feel about scripture friends so uh brad teaches <laughs> might teach you teach mostly religious philosophy stuff yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and so uh within scripture is this idea of the ocean as both chaotic and creative and i think um both of you could relate to oftentimes the things that are most creative are the things that are most chaotic so as you're finding like peace in this like I'm a chaotic being and here I sit next to this chaotic being that is bigger than me, this ocean, this expanse. And somehow that like levels out my chaos. Yeah, I love chaos. <laughs> Whereas I'm like, every, can we just type A it? Can we just not have chaos? I hate chaos. Like I'm yeah. moving for a couple of months, I'm moving for the summer and um, it is like I the overwhelmness for me because I label everything as I travel and move and, um, so yes, I get that. So can you start with telling us a little bit, because what you've done with Straight White American Jesus, it's so fun, by the way, for me and for Josie, as our friends tell us, oh my gosh, I listened to the, so our friends yeah. that we've made through Reverend Media Group. Um, oh to my find gosh, out, Brett is such a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Such that, a big please, deal. In the most... Mostly in the surfing community, also yeah, for I'm his not. new haircut. It's such a good haircut. It is such a good haircut, if we're honest. Um, sorry, Brad, to embarrass you. That's what happens when friends get together, guys, and try to make a podcast. Zowie. Um, But you've really made space for people to say the thing, even in the title. So can you talk a little bit about what um, sort of coming out of Azusa Pacific was your undergrad. So you clearly yep. have been immersed in that ex-evangelical, evangelical world. You sure. have all the degrees. Um, so you clearly are like seeped in this. And yet, what was that thrust? What was that like? So to talk to us through yeah. that a little bit. No, for sure. So I, I converted at 14, um, was like a super zealot um, evangelical teenager, was in full-time ministry by uh, 18, married by 20. Uh, but, Holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. We we did it. Podcast is over. We just ended Josie. She's gonna take a break, guys. If um, uh, people could just send Josie something. Yeah. So we. So I. Uh, my high school sweetheart and I. We dated from the time I was fourteen to the time I was twenty. Then we got married. By the time we got married, I was in charge of like the youth group at the mega church. So like two hundred kids. Um, but you were 20 as a youth. I was 20. I, yeah. And I was a full-time 
APU undergrad, Azu specific undergrad. So we had a thousand people at our wedding because all the families oh. from the church came. Um, oh dear, my gosh. Okay, we okay. Were like, we were like the golden children. Like we did it all right. True love waits. Uh, purity ring. Youth leaders were of the future. Were you on the True cover of September or October? Is relevant. We were. <laughs> Twenty year old is not that much waiting. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he paused. <laughs> it, it felt like it. It felt like it at the time. Yeah. Um, so did that. And then by the time I was like 24, just we had to get out. And so, um, you know, that's when my ex-evangelical journey started. I moved to England and uh, did grad school at Oxford. And that's when uh, we kind of realized that we were going to be friends, not partners. And so we got divorced and it was like super amicable. We're still friends. We still hang out but we just weren't supposed to be married. So she went home and then I just completely deconstructed within like three months. And so all of a sudden it's like, Oh my gosh, those are all the life stressors. What an intense life, Brad. Well, yeah. And people are like, Oh, you like dye your hair gray. Right. Right there. That's like a cool style. And I'm like, no dude, I got divorced. You're like 2013. Yeah. I got divorced (laughs) and lost my faith like at the same time. And so that appeared over like three days. Um, And so, which is very biblical. Good for you. It was, yeah, it it felt (laughs) like it. Um, And so like the way I put it is I lost both my soulmates within months, like um, Mm. both the ones, you know, my, my romantic soulmate and my divine soulmate were gone um, and just went on this journey to sort of try to put things back together. And it really, it really was lonely as, as anyone who's deconstructed knows. Um, And I was 6,000 miles from home. I went from being the golden boy to people at church saying I was an alcoholic or I was cheating on my wife or whatever. That's why things were going the way they were going. And so for me, if you just fast forward 15 years after becoming an academic and a professor, starting Straight White American Jesus was a way um, to just provide more space for folks who are trying to figure out what they went through and how it happened. Um, We've had so much great work over the last couple of years um, from Blake Chastain and, and so many others who have opened those spaces for people to tell their stories. I wanted to combine my experience with my training as a, as an academic to be like, Hey, um, here's the histories. Here's how we got here on abortion. Here's how we got here on gun rights. Here's how we got to the marriage of the GOP and, uh, evangelicalism, blah, 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 blah. If we can help folks make sense of that, that will help them make sense of their own journey. And so that's why we started the show. And it is, it's incredible to think like how many things are married to each other and not just like as you said i lost two soulmates but this idea of like once you pull on certain strings if you if you've been raised to believe all the strings are knit together um once you pull on certain strings all of it comes and as much as we joke around about oh blah 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 but it that is pain and that is like i'm so grateful for the dirty rotten church kids who who joke around about it because we need a moment to normalize it and then we need to go but how the hell did we get here and I think that's the space that you're helping people. Cause I think there is a moment where you're like, wait, but I can't be the only one, but like what, how has history got us to this moment? Where- well, and when, so- yeah, when someone tells you something's normal or standard, there's no space for reflection and you just have to right. accept it. Oh, it's natural. Uh, you, you mean, you know, being um, queer is somehow sinful. Okay. I have no other way to sort of like handle that statement. It must just be true. And I either have to accept it or not. By, by exploring history and telling the stories this way, we open space for people to kind of like place themselves in a much larger cosmos. And I think that's important. Yeah. I mean, coming out of Orange County, you're in, you grew up in the place to figure all of this ish out. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Which is what you're doing now, right? With the Orange Wave. Yeah. So the Orange Wave, um, you know, I think a lot of folks around the country don't understand that uh, there are parts of California that are very progressive. You go to Berkeley, you go to, you go to Santa Cruz, you go to parts of LA, you go to certain places. Sure. You're going to find that when you grow up in orange County and y'all know this um, it's like you grew up in the South or the Midwest, except for everyone's wearing like Hawaiian shirts and going to the beach and, um, and there's no winter. And so uh, in the orange wave, I really try to show that a lot of the currents of the, contemporary uh, white Christian nationalist movement have this weird eerie beginning in Orange County from the John Birch Society yep. to the, the support for Barry Goldwater in 1964 to uh, opposition to like uh, sex ed curricula and the abstinence only that all came out of Anaheim yep. um, 
uh, my church, my former church was the Richard Nixon church, right? So that's where the oh. Nixons went to church. Um, and so like, if you dig into the history of the GOP and white evangelicalism over the last 50 years, you keep coming back to Orange County. Like James Dobson started uh, focus on the family in Pomona, which is not te technically uh, Orange County, but it's like right on, it's like a really super close kissing cousin. It's like right on the border. And so it's amazing once you start digging into it, how Southern California is one of the like loci of uh, the contemporary uh, white evangelical and white Christian nationalist movements. It's weird. And I think we don't know that history. And so um, I remember when I was in a history class, I had a wonderful history professor when I was in high school or history teacher. And they had, you know, that quote that everyone knows, those who don't know the past are condemned to repeat it, whatever. And I remember thinking about it and having grown up in a country where history is very much um, we, we have our issues. We have today is uh, Canada Day, but we are not. My family and I talked about how this for us is a day where we are pausing and recognizing what we have uncovered and known. We've known. We haven't known how to deal with it. Indigenous people, this sort of thing. So Canada is not perfect. And also, but we did learn history a lot. History was so important. In fact, when I was in eighth grade, um, National Geographic came and did, you'll love this, Brad. They came and made us fill out eighth graders for no reason, just came and we filled out a history. We just filled out this history thing. We find out that they were ranking us against Americans on their own history. <laughs> eighth grade Canadians knew more about international yep. history and American history than Sounds the about right. average adult <laughs> American. Yes. So this was really interesting. Now, that being said, we can judge and laugh about it. But the truth is, if people don't know where this stuff came from, it becomes um, fact. It becomes mm, right. unquestionable. It becomes normalized. It becomes, you know, so here in Orange County, I think one of the most surprising things for me is someone who lived in this. So I, we moved from Canada to Mississippi when I was in high school. And so when I became a pastor or was going to go to seminary, people were like mostly supportive, but there were some like Southern Baptist friends who were like, do what now? I came out here and I would go to parties and there's a certain church that's very, very popular here in Costa Mesa. And I would go to it because I was 24 and everyone that goes there is 24. Both of y'all know what I'm talking about, our age. So I was at this church and yeah. I would go to these parties and guys would get shit face drunk and then tell me about how it was immoral for me to be a pastor. And I wasn't prepared for that. I think I was more prepared for that in the South and didn't experience it. And then coming here and experiencing it. And then you get to the bottom of like, but why there was no interest in sort of parsing it out or figuring out where they got that belief from. It's so fascinating. I wonder, well, I can't wait to watch this. I'm going to watch Josie. We should have watch parties, but I want to like this idea of like, cause I only know pieces of it, right? Like I took two classes in American um, Christianity and they were phenomenal just to discover like, oh wait, that's where it came from because so much of Western culture has inundated from missionaries who, you know, cultures that believed in three spirits and then American Christians show up and they're like, nope, that's yep. not Demons. a thing. Right, yep. that's not a thing. And they're like, wait, but it's always been a thing. And they're like, not a thing. So there's like yeah. this whole ethos that we don't realize comes right from here. And if we don't realize where it comes from, I don't think we can actually see it, right? With open eyes. Yeah, I feel like people often ignore the monetary aspect to Christianity. Oh, okay. Orange yeah. County has lots of money. And when the conservatives have lots of money and there's have such close proximity to the production value that is Los Angeles, they can get their message out across the world very readily. Oh, that's a great point. The production value, mm -hmm. Josie, that is yes. like a wonderful recognition. Because if right? you're in Podunk, Ohio, and you even if you have money, right, like it's difficult. You don't have these certain connections. But as soon as you're in the proximity of somebody who can get your word out, because you can have liberal friends and they'll still do you the favor if you give them enough money. Yeah. This is, I mean, ask Billy Graham, right? 19, 1949, mm -hmm. Billy Graham shows up in LA and now, now he's Billy Graham, the guy we know is like the most important yes. preacher of the 20th century. And it's exactly what you just said, Josie, like the production mm -hmm. value, the spotlight and, and Billy Graham's off to the races. The same goes uh, for Pepperdine University. So like Pepperdine mm -hmm. is up there in Malibu. It's fancy. Oh, it's, it's gorgeous. Whatever. It's beautiful there. 
But that all comes right from white Christian nationalists in the mid 20th century mm-hmm. trying to trying to set up what they think is a uh, and where was Pepperdine originally? South Central LA. And oh, they yeah. realized they realized um, none of these rich white kids from, you know, mm-hmm. um, the churches we're, we're talking about want to come here. So we need to go up to Malibu and be bougie Stop and be it. fancy. And so they did. And, and you know, so like, anyway, Josie's point just brought all that up. It's it's just right on their yep. nose. Like, it's so important. Um, yeah. Yeah, to some extent, Christians want to believe, evangelicals want to believe in the prosperity gospel. And if right. they can live it out, they're going to do it. And California is the epitome of prosperity. Well, just, the other, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Please, no, please, I was sorry. just going to say, I think there's also like a lack of like um, uh, curiosity about how we got here. Right. Yeah. So like, oh no, this is what so-and-so told me. And so I'm so busy running this business. I'm so busy doing all these things that if just someone else can take care of that part of my life for me, we, we talk about this all the time as friends, but like just it would take like three questions and people don't always want to do the three questions. And when you have someone from a pulpit saying, don't start to question. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those who do question have that moment of just like, you know, you talked about the pain of deconstruction and the pain of like feeling so outside of the norm that it's almost like we resist that because like the the thing that we know is wrong, but at least we know it feels easier to do than to start learning all this stuff. But then there is something like once you, you know, I, sorry to be a super nerd, but like matrix, right? Like once you take the, you can't untake it. You can't be like, just kidding. I don't want to know how yeah. we got here. Right. Like sure. if I can just believe Pepperdine's a great school that just wanted to raise great lawyers that can care for people. Um, it feels yeah. much better, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and, Orange County's, uh, so Kristen Kobe's Dume's book, Jesus and John Wayne is, is very, you know, hot right now for good reason. Mm. But John Wayne, what is the airport in Orange County? It's John Wayne Airport. John Wayne, baby. John Wayne is like a major, major regional hero, uh, was big part of Ronald Reagan's ascendance and Barry Goldwater's ascendance. So the John Wayne model of masculinity is not, hey, let's ask questions, let's reflect, no. let's read books. It's you do things and you 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 ask questions later and you never apologize so like when I grew up in Orange County in church there was no men around who were writers or professors or playwrights or or um there was nothing right everyone around me were like contractors and doers right and I'm not trying to denigrate those professions what I'm trying to say though is they in, in my church culture took on the persona of you don't ask and reflect and read. That's that's like not a manly thing to do. You do things, you take the initiative, and if it goes badly, you just, well, you can maybe apologize later, probably not though. Mm-hmm. And I just think that kind of model pervades Orange County as well, and it pervaded my church uh, in a big way, and I, I think that's part of this puzzle. Well, and I think it's so fascinating. Uh, I don't think she'll be mad at me for saying this, but uh, my friend is John Wayne's granddaughter. Ah. And um, she is one of the most creative. She is a uh, ad maker, but she's an artist. Her husband is an artist. Um, They are the most questioning down to earth. I didn't know her grandfather was John Wayne until we were in Disneyland and she had a forever pass. So that's a thing. Wow. And uh, it was because in the family, those get passed down. So she must be his great. I feel like I should Brand know this. tracks, I think. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, and so I just said, hey, um, why do you have a gold, you know, pot, like a gold pass? That doesn't make yeah. sense to me. And she said, oh, it like I can use it forever. And I was like, you can get it forever. And I was thinking, how many thousands of dollars? Because thousands <laughs> yeah. of dollars seemed like a lot to me back then. Um, and she said, no, like my, they made a ride and my grandfather's featured in it. So as part of the thank you for doing that, they gave us these forever passes. And I was like, well, who's your grandpa? I'm like, mm, the matador? Like, <laughs> like who's your grandpa? And it's because it's in Disney World. Oh, John Wayne is featured in part of it. And um, she's the most, like she hears someone who comes from a lot of money, but has made her own way in the world and is just so fascinating. So even if you idealize that person, their descendants aren't that yeah. is mm-hmm. my point here. And so I think like, 
we just have such an opportunity to learn history and learn all these things now that we have like social media and like real history and like, oh gosh, guys, some of the like incredible things that are coming out on Netflix, like even these like interesting pirate documentaries or whatever they might be like, we have an opportunity to learn these things in a way that like you're saying, Josie, those who control, I hate to say it, the media sometimes control, mm -hmm. they do, they control the story. And yeah. so yep. I'm so grateful for what you're doing. And so you <laughs> kicked this thing off. Did you kick it off in 2016? Did I make that out? No, uh, 2018. 2018. Yeah. So we'd already done two years. Yep of an interesting moment. Yeah. I just learned yesterday, and you can tell me if this is fact or not, because by learned it, I mean my friend texted it to me with a <laughs> WTF, um, that they discovered, I believe, that more Christian, evangelical Christians voted for Trump in 2020 than did in 2018. Oh yeah, that's 100% true. Whew. Yeah, it's, it's 80, so this time around it was 84% of white evangelicals. Last time, depending on who you ask and what numbers you look at, it was between 77 and 81. So we definitely have a, a much larger percentage who voted for Trump in 2020 um, for white evangelicals. Yeah. Um, and I think for us, it was important to start the show because we called it Straight White American Jesus because uh, we realized in 2018 that so many people, when they envision Jesus, they envision someone more like Donald Trump, a straight white, patriarchal, mm -hmm. xenophobic American rather than a, uh, a brown Palestinian born Jewish person. Um, poor. poor. Yeah, exactly. Right. Working class um, and so on and so forth. Right. And so what we are trying to do in the show is say, yes, you know, there's a, for a lot of folks who are made in God's image. More often than not, we make God in our image and mm. the way that most Americans have made Jesus as a projection of themselves is as a straight, white, gun-toting, xenophobic male um, rather than anything else. And we need to explore that. We need to under understand that. And we need to uh, not only understand why that happens, but how to move past it. Yeah. This is the disconnect that I've always had is I grew up in the Latin church. I grew up in a Latin LA Pentecostal church with zero knowledge of the white evangelical church happening down the freeway, right? In our church, politics wasn't really a topic. Uh, most people were immigrants, and for whatever reason, Latin immigrants are Democrats. You know, we're a little liberal. Um, they'll tell you that Republicans are full of rich people that don't like you, so. <laughs> Which, I mean, historically. Yep. All right. Yeah. It's always been so fascinating to me that Americans think of Jesus as theirs. They yeah. have the monopoly on Jesus. They know yeah. who Jesus is. They think that Jesus would have carried around a gun. They think that Jesus would have said, uh, you're gay and you're going to hell. I wonder, because this is me, right? This is, I try not to judge people based on myself, but this is how I see it. The more you hear something, even if you don't like it, the more you think about it, the more you're, even if you're trying to argue against it, the more you have to look into it to argue against it. And that's what I think is the genius of your podcast is that not only are you making space for people who agree with you, but you also get into a lot of Twitter fights with people that don't agree <laughs> with you, but they got to think about it. They got to think, what am I going to say? What am I going to rebuttal? And then maybe eventually, uh, I say this from experience, I've converted many a conservative person at APU, I'm a modern shout out to both yep. of us. Yep simply by asking questions or presenting new information. And then they have to, even if they don't agree with me at first, they have to think about it until one day they're like, I think I'm wrong. <laughs> Is that, have you experienced that space making? making I, yeah, you know, I think one of my strategies is, I mean, everything you just said, it makes total sense to me. And I think one of my strategies has always been, I wanna present something to, to, to those who I disagree with in a way that, um, sort of knocks them back and jars them a little bit to, to the, where they have to think about it. So like, re, mm -hmm. like this is 4th of July weekend, right? Gwen Berry just got uh, everyone talking because she's a, she qualified for the Olympian, uh, the Olympic team from the United States as a hammer thrower. And when it came time for the national anthem, she kind of turned away mm -hmm. in, in difference or in uh, something, protest, et cetera. A lot of folks 
Tucker Carlson and everyone on everyone's Uncle Ron on Facebook is very upset about Gwen Berry, right? So here's my question that I put on Facebook the other day. It's just like, hey, I know y'all are upset about Gwen Berry, but I also know y'all are out at the lake wearing that American flag swim trunks and bikini. Mm -hmm. So you've got your junk rubbing all up against old glory and you're not mad about that, are you? But <laughs> and that's actually woman, against the law. <laughs> that's And it's disgusting, okay? And so you've got your sunscreen sweaty ass over here all over the American flag while this woman is using her free speech to protest. How come you're not upset, right, in this case, but not that one? The same goes for people who put a blue line on the flag. So you get to mark up the flag it's mm -hmm. yours to just draw all over. How come I'm not upset? How come you're not upset about that, but you're upset about Gwen Berry turning her back? You need to think about that. And if you and if you can give me a reason that I'm the incoherent one, I'm ready wait. for it. But guess what? I know you can't. I know you don't. I know mm -hmm. you don't have it. But I'll wait. If you think you got it, let's do it. I, I got all day. Yep. Their simple reason is me, but not you. Exactly. exactly. It's a uh, again, it's the questioning thing that we are so afraid to engage. And it's interesting. Uh, the thing that's been most surprising, I think, to my family and I is uh, the anti-academic mm. uh, thing, right? So I grew up uh, with the Americans are the ones who all want to get educated. Like I thought that was, but then it's been fascinating to be in the subculture of Christianity where those who are educated are now suddenly suspect um, because they're being educated in like socialism, whatever people think. But I think um, for me anyway, a lot of the education I had just taught me how to ask good questions. It didn't necessarily always give me the questions. And even like I was putting, as I'm moving my office, I was looking through the books and now I'm like, I don't even think some of my professors would recommend these books, but like, that's where we were in 2005, like whatever it might be. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think it was, we as we talk about this, there's something great about saying, oh, people who are educated, like it's really easy to, if as soon as you like mock people who are educated or make it sound like to ask a question, cause then it, again, it takes the, I can't, I don't have to ask why it's okay for me to wear an American bikini, which by the way, I totally guys, I have one cause I ran a race. <laughs> I do. I have one. Um, I know, I know. I, I'm Canadians. not wearing it. Canadian. I know. I also have a Canadian one if I'm honest. Um, but I don't have a British one. I don't know why. Well. Uh, I need to like round out my passports <laughs> yep, with yeah. bikini tops. That feels weird. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think all of them are probably wrong. But again, it's like, if I'm not willing to learn or shift, it, it makes sense to me why people have a tough time making space for other people when they're like, I need my version of this to be the right version because I'm so afraid of starting to ask the questions, right? Because they don't want to go through the pain you went through, Brad, when you're all alone. And all of a sudden, all the things you were fed are not the thing. And I think when you allow people a, a way of doing it, that's like once removed by doing something like a podcast, or even like talking about history that's over here makes them question their own story yep. in some ways. Right. Well, and I think for me, this is why when people talk about deconstruction and ex-evangelical, uh, I mean, you see all this all the time from various evangelical luminaries now, right? Oh, people, well, ex-evangelical is just angry people, or they just want to sex with everyone or they were never really christian in the in, to start with and my response is like we're not the never words we're the duns like we gave it all we questioned we learned we right. went to bible study three times a week we went to sunday school we did the purity pledge we uh read all the commentaries we, we love the church more than you do that's what i'm saying like right everybody who i know who was just 100 percent zealot as a teenager is now right. is now gone because they are doing what you're saying, Sarah. They investigated, they grew, and then they realized, hey, this this space can't hold me anymore. This space mm -hmm. is incoherent. This space is full of contradictions. There's staircases to nowhere. There's <laughs> hallways that lead right um, in a circle. I don't want to be in this space anymore. I want to go to a different one. But the people who control that space are relying on the fact that you won't ever sort of question and get that map in your mind so that you can have the the power to actually take yourself out of it. And so we're not the never words, we're the duns. We mm -hmm. mapped the whole architecture and we were like, this place doesn't make sense. We got to go. And we're and, willing for yeah. you to teach us something different. Like you said, like, if you can give me a reason why this makes sense, great, because that's going to put like a, yay, we solved for why. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I remember being at a Baptist church in Downey, California. Won't call them out. Maybe later. You can ask me. I'll tell you. Um, DM us. DM me. They, it was a weird dissonance of me going to APU. Granted, I wasn't a theology major, so whatever. But at APU, you had to take theology courses. That was part of the thing, right? And so, objectively, more educated theologically than all the other kids that some I was hanging folks. around with. Some folks, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but all these little boys were reading systematic theology, so they knew more than me. And I was deemed a problem. I mean, they wouldn't tell me that, right? But it's just like, hey, you gotta, you gotta listen. You gotta listen to us. And I was like, okay, I know what systematic theology is, or I know, I know what you're about. You're not listening to me. You're not understanding this perspective. And then when you leave, they're surprised. And he's like, you never gave me any room to question. You never want people to grow. You never want people to even ask, why don't you love in a way that is bigger than what you're doing? Which is the whole point, right? And that's what people want to run away from, is at the end of the day, you're not taught empathy the way that Jesus is supposedly teaching you empathy. You're not taught to love in ways that Jesus is supposedly teaching you to love. And then they're surprised when you're just like, I'm going to go ahead and choose empathy and love. (laughs) I'm I'm, going to go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My my last Sunday at my megachurch where I worked for seven years, um, you know, thousands of kids came through the youth group, uh, the whole thing that that I I showed up at the prayer meeting before church at 730. The staff is all there. It was my last Sunday. And the children's pastor was like, oh, Brad, it's your last Sunday. And I was sort of in a daze and I was very distracted. I was like, yeah, you're right. And I just had a million like goodbye parties and and other things on my mind. And the senior pastor looked up and he's like, oh, it's your last Sunday. And I, I had shepherded his three boys through my youth group. I had taken them on many coffee, you know, outings and let's go get a Slurpee and let's go surfing. For non-Christians, this is how you hang. This is the shepherding. This is the Mm -hmm. discipleship making. Here it is. We did it all. The youth pastor like track, I mean, the basketball games and the let's go hang out after school and get a a burrito and talk and blah, blah, blah. So I had all three of his boys did all of that. And he looks up and he was everything you're just saying, Josie, he he saw me as a problem because I was questioning. Right. I was Mm -hmm. always pushing uh, the church and him on certain issues. And he's like, oh, it's your last Sunday. Hmm. Well, don't go crazy liberal on us so you can actually come back and visit someday. Right. And those, those were his last words to me. Oh. Um, after I'd been on staff for seven years, I shepherded his three kids. I had like a, a, a book of like all these kids who were like, say, you know, writing goodbye letters and all this stuff. And they were all sad and I was sad. And that's, those were his last words because of exactly what Josie just said. Like Josie, what you just said was exactly it. It, it went one way. And if I wasn't going to get on board, it was like, well, all right, see ya. And I was like, yeah, see ya. I'm, I'm going to go now. Bye. You know. Mm, 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 mm. I just can't, <laughs> I can't, like I, I need to. I was a youth pastor for six and a half years and uh, leaving was a really painful experience. Not because it was actually really great. I was asked to be a lead pastor, really felt like that was where I was being called. It was hard though. And I cannot imagine because people having just come through it on Sunday, people don't realize the pain. They don't. And in, until you do it, you don't know. When you're leaving a community that you have invested in formed put before you you've gone to people like the number of birthday parties for elderly people I've gone to and and done so gladly because I'm part of your life the number of beds I've sat next to and glad to because I'm part of your life like the number like these are family members you don't even do that for family members and then to hear well but you like weren't really one of us yep and I think everybody doesn't feel like one of them the people that because the number of people, and maybe both of you can say something about this. I think it's important for people to hear that nobody feels like they belong. And so everybody is protesting and fighting so hard to feel like they belong. So like the number of pastors I've spoken to who are these like thought, like forward, how do I want to put it? Like the people that are well-known, right? Well-known pastors who I've sat with who are like, I, I don't know, actually. And I'm just I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I'm wrong. And I don't know how to like express how much a lot of what's happening is just, I don't want to be the one that someone says, well, don't go too far off the tracks. 
The question I think that I keep asking myself is why don't these churches stop and think, huh, I wonder why they're leaving. I wonder what the real reason is why we can't keep young people in our doors. I wonder if I had anything to do with it and how I could fix that. The narrative is you're getting rid of the bad seed. Exactly. Right? That's the narrative. They're using scripture to say, oh, no, no, no. We were all planted together. And now the, the, uh, you know, the things that are growing that we're not meant to grow here, we were all growing together. And this is now we just have to get, I mean, it's terrible because I I just hear the Nazi in it, but like now it's just the pure garden, (laughs) you know, like it's the ones who have like come through the storm. What do you, what do you think, Brad, about why people don't ask why your kid's leaving? No, it's, I I think you all hit it on the head. Uh, There's the, the practice of empathy is talked about, but never developed. Uh, it's like the person who joins the gym and thinks about it all the time, but like never goes and actually does the bicep curls or the ab workout. Like they, they think about it all the (laughs) time, but but they don't have the, they don't have the muscles to actually pull it off. I also think there's this, there's a strong in-group out-group dynamic that is really important to these spaces. Uh, there's a, there's a need to know who's part of the group and who's not. And if you're challenging the leadership the reaction is never like, okay, maybe we should open space internally to grow and expand and adjust. It's it's rather, okay, look, if you're unhappy here and you're just not fitting, if you're not a good, um, you know, if we need to prune you, John 15, as, uh, you know, part of not part of God's plan or God's community here, then that's okay because the community will go on. And, and one of the things that I think strikes me, and this is, you know, I don't know, Sarah, how you feel about this, but it strikes me just as what I, what I admire about what you're doing in terms of your move is I think there's so many pastors in that position. They're 40 years old. They're 50 years old. They have a, uh, they're 30 years old, whatever. They have a mortgage. They have kids. They have a family. They have whatever. And they know theologically, I'm not, I'm not sure y'all about this, but publicly, politically, socially, they can't say that because how are they going to pay that mortgage? How, what are they going to do if they get kicked out of the denomination? What are they going to do if they lose their church, right? I don't have any other skills. I don't know how to do any other job. So I better just stay with the program, keep it going, not burn out because my kid needs to go uh, to Little League and I need to, you know, uh, try to pay off these loans, blah, 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 blah. That to me is also part of this puzzle. Yeah. And we don't make space for people to shift. So for me, like my theology hasn't, it shifted a lot, but it's also not shifted that much, right? And so And I wholeheartedly believe in our local church. I'm really lucky where I'm leaving a community that it had nothing to do with like, I can't. Yeah, and I didn't mean to imply Oh, no, 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 I know, no. But I will say this, I have seen in my, the thing that has frightened me most is I know clergy who were done 10 years ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we use this language of calling. We use this language, I'm going to say it, purpose-driven. You have one purpose. You have to live into that purpose. And if, and, and if you start to move outside of that, and so what do we have? We have a bunch of people who have worked really hard to get to this place. And that's the pe- thing that people don't recognize either. It's not something easy to walk away. And they do believe that they're, they don't have skills for other things. They absolutely do. All the things, nothing is wasted. Everything is sacred. Everything you've been learning up to this point, right? but they've been told you can only do this one thing. So now they base like your value on, I can only do this one thing. And it is a strange career. Um, Teachers probably get it in a way that a lot of other humans don't. Everything you do is judged. Uh, Everybody that participates, like, especially I think about like professors now that you can rate your professor and all that kind of stuff. Like every week you're giving Mm -hmm. presentations that people get to decide whether or not they like, like it right? Name a CEO that every time they do a meeting, everyone's like, I liked the way they, you know? And so it's a high pressure situation and actually art the same way, right? Just you're only as good as your last show. You're only as good as your last, right? So um, put that and then marry your spiritual life to that. That's right. That's Mm -hmm. right. And your identity and, and a culture that doesn't allow you to shift. And I think the it has been frightening for some of my colleagues, the move that I've taken to say, yeah, I don't know that I am coming back. I do know that I, I'm not a lead pastor right now. I love it. 
I love this. And they're all like, everyone's waiting for like the moment where I'm like, and here's the scandal. But I'm like, exactly. No, there's not. Like, it's absolutely the best shirt. Like Matt, who's the pastor coming in, I'm like, you are getting the best people. Like, I just need you to know this is the best. And I mean that. And it's not whatever. It's just, I knew that I wasn't the best thing for this community to move forward. And so here we are, but there's no out. And it frightens the hell out of people for you to say, I've grown. And that's not a judgment call. That's not like a, I've grown. Mm -hmm. You haven't, I I can't do this thing. I can't be this thing anymore. So here we are growing up as evangelical, whatever it might be. And so how do we make space for people to move? Right. And, Mm -hmm. and I would say even within progressivism, we have a tough time Mm -hmm. with dealing with the fact that people move. And so people might be like, I think about the whole Billie Eilish thing. And I think it was great that she apologized. Absolutely. And she did a great job of saying whatever, but can we allow people to move? And Mm -hmm. can we say, gosh, yeah, that was a really dumb thing you did, but I get it. Cause I've done like my dear friend, Kevin uh, Garcia, who's on our group as well. Um, was so frustrated with this baby gay, as he called them. Um, this baby gay, they were like, "There, this baby gay is blah blah blah." And then, and then, pause and said, "But I was that way, wasn't yep. I?" Yep. And I yep. said, "Yeah." And until we recognize that, until we normalize change and shift, everyone either buckles down so they can at least be part of this community because this community doesn't seem to want them. And so, we're in this weird shift. And I think history helps us. Being around older people helps us. Being yeah. around like knowing that everything adjusts and change and yet we still can be grounded and 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 it's so hard especially for guys like most of the pastors that burn out and cause nasty damage and I'm not trying to be sexist but it's often a guy right who wanted to leave ministry so long ago and couldn't yeah because that wasn't the good thing to do and so blew up publicly or whatever it might be and did something really shady Mm -hmm. it's I think all goes back to John Wayne not John Wayne himself but that like that like idea that I have to know who I am from the very beginning and then I hold on to that and I protect everyone around me and yeah I and I for me this just brings back so many moments of feeling frustrated in uh, in the sense that one love is always a synonym of permanence in the evangelical mind right so whether that's whether that's romantic love or god's love if it's not forever then it doesn't count and i think that plays into masculinity too like men feel like um the real man is the unchanging man is the man who's Oof. steady over time and there's no way to make space for yourself and um in that kind of frame and if you don't make that kind of space for yourself then you're going to collapse all of that self uh, deflation into your relationships, right? And so your partner, your your family, your uh, congregation, your friends, your whoever are gonna feel the, the collapsing of yourself into that kind of shell and it, it benefits nobody. And so, you know, for me, I think that's one of the lessons I took away. I, I talked about losing both my soulmates and what I, what I learned from that is that love is not about not changing or permanence. Love is about a perpetual birth and growth. And it's scary as hell and it hurts and it's like really frightening, but it is the absolute uh, most delicious and and fulfilling part of being a human being mm-hmm. um, in, in every way, for me at least. Yeah. What's the if point of place. life if you don't suffer a little bit? <laughs> Says the artist. <laughs> but it's true. I was just thinking about how often... I know all three of us are told um, out what feels like a desert, um, meeting folks who have been in the desert for a while and goes, actually, it's quite lovely here. And Love when you the desert. and you meet these other people who have gone through the same thing, and they're going to actually love it every iteration of you, because like you say, love um, this permanence, like we sing all these songs about God's love being permanent. And I think what we what we miss out on is what permanent is, is permanent is through all seasons. That doesn't Mm. mean unchanging. And I think we use the word unchanging when what we mean is like always available. Mm. Um, You know, I I have a friend who always says I'm born again and again and again and again. (laughs) And I think that's like a very, I remember at first being like, I don't know what that means, but I get it now more in a way than I ever have before. Like who you are and who you will and who you will, you know, there's all this beautiful creeds do a really great job of doing that. But so often we've turned them into this, like, this is who God is. 
And now you either get on the program or you don't. And then we're afraid of anyone who's willing to say, oh, but what about this wonder, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, I just, uh, I'm gonna be chewing on that one for a while. This idea of, is that, that's felt, felt really gross to say guys. I don't know. Um, but this <laughs> idea- delicious. delicious. <laughs> I'm hungry, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but I think this idea of like, why can't we let things change? Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, 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 I've read Augustine's Confessions way more times than I, I which should have been playing beach volleyball or drinking beer or whatever. But anyway, I did, I've read that book many times and Same. he, he gets so sad when his friend dies and he really comes to this conclusion that, um, love is, is, is happiness without end, which I understand that impulse. But for me, um, both in my, the way I think about uh, personal love and the way I think about divine love, my, my, my mantra now is love is sorrow joyous, that love includes sorrow. We know that the person we love will change. Mm. Um, one of us will pass away. That, that's part of being a human being. So love is sorrow. As soon as I love, I've entered into sorrow. Like Josie, you just said, it's, suffering is part of, the, part of the game. And yet it's sorrow that's joyous. And to, to the, the community I grew up in, that is just an oxymoron. How can you have mm -hmm. sorrow that would in any way be joyful? But to me, living in that tension is is really the trick. It's really the, the way to allow um, every fiber of, of this awful condition uh, that we call being human uh, to, to be filled with wonder. I think that's why I value a liturgical community and that may not make sense. Um, I did see that you studied a little in Catholicism and I know Josie, you've grown up a little bit around it, although this is like the first year you've, or first couple of years that you've really like watched the seasons. But I think because it allows for change, um, I think there's this just incredible cycle. Um, and how do for we sure. do that? Um, and if, if we're not teaching it. Mm. Um, so our last question that we always ask, um, Brad, and I know we could talk forever cause we do. Um, but what, if you could think of like a tangible way that someone could make space for someone else, what would that be? So I was thinking about this today and this is for all the men out there, the, the, especially the cis hetero men out there. Um, I think, uh, listening in the way that Josie described it is, um, the, the first place to start. And, and not listening to uh, get your word in, not viewing it as a transaction, not viewing it as a quid pro quo, or you get you go and then I get to go. It's listening as I want to um, try to imagine the space you're inhabiting uh, so that I can try my best to understand what it is you're feeling, what it is you've experienced. Also, because it's going to stretch my uh, inner uh, my inner space, my inner imagination to the point where um, my understanding of what it means for you to be a human being and for you to be you um, will change how I experience the world as well. And so um, I just think it, it sounds very like self-helpy and very sort of cliche, but um, we just it's it's a it's a problem for cis hetero men that we mm -hmm. we never learn how to listen and we never uh, consider that the virtue that we should be pursuing uh, rather than being John Wayne or Braveheart or uh, anyone else. And so that's my that's my thing. I think that's really important. Yes, absolutely. And let me tell you, straight white men. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in white men there, but. <laughs> If you don't do drugs, it's pretty nice high when you get to feel that spiritual connection with someone you're listening to. So try it out. Do that really drug. Is. That it was really like the is. weirdest advertisement, but I love it. <laughs> All right, Brad, <laughs> where are places? It was good though. Like Josie, it legit was good. It um, gives them a reason to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's great. You should definitely be a pusher. Um, is that what, I don't know, a pusher of? Yeah, it's, anyway, a pusher. it's great, yeah. we're doing great. Brad, where can folks find you? Um, I'm on Twitter, Bradley Onishi. Uh, our show is on Twitter at Straight White JC. We're on Instagram at, at Straight White JC. You can find all of our uh, stuff at StraightWhiteAmericanJesus.com. And uh, we'd love to hear from folks and and um, and uh, engage in more conversation. All right, now Josie, where can people find us? You can find everything at MakingSpacesPodcast.com or on Instagram at MakingSpacesPodcast. I'm on Instagram at Josie Takes the World. And Sarah is at Rev Sarah Heath. 
It's true. Keeping the rev, guys. I'm keeping it. How lucky am I? They're letting me keep it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, so, friends, thank you so much for joining us. And join us next week where we will be. Saving a space for you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>